Let's spell a song so you can sing along with my special guest star for two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and with me is a returning guest he's a fellow podcaster who has so many podcasts in the works i my head is spinning it's <laughs> kevin young everyone how you doing if you remember kevin was on little shop of horrors way yeah. back and now he's back for another horror ish no no this is a horror musical it's a horror yeah this is this this might be more horror than little shop of horrors mm, a lot more yeah. blood a lot more blood <laughs> yeah all of the blood and it's perfect for spooky season which is you know now yeah. hooray <laughs> <laughs> but we're here to talk about sweeney todd the demon barber of fleet street the movie which came out in 2007 yeah. Screenplay by John Logan, musical adaptation by Christopher Bond, book by Hugh Wheeler, music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, welcome back, and directed by Tim Burton. And according to IMDb, the infamous story of Benjamin Barker, aka Sweeney Todd, who sets up a barbershop in London, which is the basis for a sinister partnership with his fellow tenant, Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, that's, sure. Yeah, that's the easy synopsis of it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. If we're if we're boiling it down to like a sentence, yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I feel like I would have added though that he's out for revenge. Yeah, he doesn't realize that he he wants to he does he doesn't go on the whole killing everybody and turning them into meat pies until after he doesn't get his revenge. He's like, fuck it, I'll just start killing people anyway. That's like two thirds of the way through the movie. I know. We watched it. We watched it last night because I've been listening to the soundtrack for the past few days just because I've seen the movie so many fucking times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not something like I sit down and listen to the soundtrack. I sat down and, you know, well, I listen to it at work. Don't tell my boss. Um, But I listened to it like three times over and over and over again. I was like, I forgot. I I mean, I remember the the, the songs, but I I forget, you know, the songs that, you know, you you forget the songs are on it. And uh, we were watching it last night. So just just one last you know shot of information before you know come on here and mm-hmm. talk about it. And uh, we were watching it on Tubi on our Google, and um, it went to a commercial instead of been on like twenty one minutes. And my wife's like, "How the fuck has this been on for twenty one minutes?" <laughs> because it just like flew by. You don't realize how far into the movie you're you are once he starts you know getting to the whole you know not you know pun intended meat of the story well so like i i took a note that um pirelli's murder is 50 minutes into the movie and that's the first person it's only like an hour and 20 minute minute long movie isn't it yeah i saw no i thought it was long i don't know i (laughs) i thought it said one hour and 20 it could have well it might have been 120 minutes yeah, because it's an hour, according to IMDb, it says an hour and 56 minutes. Okay. So basically, halfway through the movie is when the, movie. Yeah. the first murder happens. But then, yeah. like, there's 20 songs in this movie out of the 
30 plus that are in the yeah, show or something like that and epiphany is song number 14 which is when he's that's when he's starting to like threaten people and then a little priest is right afterwards and you're like we have to wait this long to get to a little priest <laughs> yeah, that's i mean and the, the whole reason you watch the movie is because you want you know you want to get to that part but you have to sit through so much to get there but like Which, i mean I, I like the story i'm not complaining about having to sit through the story it's just that's the meat and potatoes of the story you gotta sit through half of the movie before you get to it yeah so uh have you seen the stage version of it uh no but i read up on it a little bit preparing for this just to see you know what the differences were and i was like god damn because i guess they said like he uh Sondheim had rewritten parts of it and cut it down a lot just for the movie, the movie. yeah oh so that I didn't know. everything that they did was like approved i guess mm-hmm because they cut, like I said, they cut like 11 songs or some shit out of it. They there. cut a lot of songs. There's also yeah. like a chorus that was supposed to be. Well, so there is a chorus in the show. And then they were going to do something about like the spirits. And um, it was going to be Anthony's, uh, Anthony Head from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Giles. And yeah. two other guys were going to be like a chorus of sorts. But then they cut that. And that's why randomly... Anthony Head is there and asks a question. Yeah, and then yeah, you never yeah, see yeah. Again. <laughs> the first one to ask for a shave, and it's like, what? And I didn't even realize it was him until I watched it. I was like, wait a minute, it's Giles, <laughs> and I and I don't, I even remember him from. Uh, did you see Repo Man, the genetic opera? But yes, I've seen Repo, the genetic opera. It's camp. I love it. Yeah, and yeah. He and he's the you know he's the main guy in it, main guy in it. And he's the one I think of most because I didn't really watch Buffy as a kid uh, or a teenager. Something on my really on my radar. I know a lot of people did. I I really didn't, but I knew he was on the show. But uh, that's what I think of when I when I think of him most because I I enjoyed that movie. I thought it was fun. And then Repo Man with Jude Law or whatever Repo Men came out after that. I was like, oh, they're just copying. This is the same movie. This is the same movie without the music. Yeah but i i was reading the history of sweeney todd uh because he started he's a fictional character and i'm gonna preface it that way because um people thought he was real (laughs) like after after they read him in the penny dreadfuls they thought it was he was a real person but he like it, it was weird it started as the weekly the periodical um in eight uh words are hard right now he started (laughs) he started as a as a character in the series the string of pearls in in like 18 weekly parts from 1846 to 47 yeah and he somehow morphed into like an urban legend in london and so i guess people were so scared by it that like they're they convinced themselves oh he's a real person he's a victorian slender man yes basically <laughs> he's like, he doesn't exist some douchebag made him up and now everybody you know all the kids think he's real and there's like the, there is no definitive like who created him right because some may think it's one person some think it's another person and i mean everyone's dead who created him so <laughs> 
<laughs> so nobody's. I mean, we're not. We'll never know. Nobody knows. But the version that's that we know um, was created in 1973 by Christopher Bond. He wrote a play right. um, that gave Sweeney more of like the background of like you know being exiled to Australia, his wife being raped by the judge and going crazy. And then in 1979, Stephen Sondheim's version, like Sondheim saw the play and then was like, let's add music to it. Yeah, I could do better. And then, you know, it won eight Tony Awards in 1979, including Best Musical, Book Book of a Musical, and Best Original Score. So no big deal. (laughs) I know, uh, I think the only other thing I've seen about it was when I think it was was it Jersey Girl when Kevin uh, was was the Kevin Smith movie I think it's Jersey Girl where uh, Ben Affleck's daughter performs it for her uh, school play oh I did read that uh, for like a talent show she performs it I was like that I I would like to do that with my children for their school play let's see let's see in film yeah in Jersey Girl Ben Affleck and his daughter perform god that's good yeah I, yeah which one is that is that in the movie that is the movie oh i remember it now it's like right before joanna right after joanna right before uh by the, by the sea, sea. Yeah. yeah the t- i don't really remember like there's some titles i don't remember from this from this movie well, of the songs like a lot of the songs in this one kind of blend together it goes from one to another just without without much of a segue or a stoppage in between so it was like when i was listening on my phone i didn't have my phone out i just had the headphones in and i was listening i was like is the same song that i've been listening to for the past 10 minutes and you look you're like no it's four songs later well so i when i was re-watching it for this recording i just realized that there's always music playing some of the songs that they cut from the movie the music is still there um like it's underscoring the dialogue if you will the best example i can give is like the beginning when they're doing the opening credits yeah the that's, opening title. that's actually a song in the show oh really yeah i was i was listening to the cast album the original cast album and i was just like oh this is a real song okay <laughs> oh i wonder why they didn't use it because I mean, it involves I, the opening. I think the opening title is great because it's creepy as all shit and it and shows you the drainage of the blood and all that. I think it's great, but oh, maybe should use use the song instead of just the, the melody. It, it includes the chorus they cut for the movie, yeah. so it wouldn't have made sense, I guess, to have uh, like a chorus show up for a song and not have them come back again. I suppose. I don't know. I do feel like though, with the opening titles, like you get brought into the world without any words yeah it definitely set set the tone for the for the movie just mm-hmm. the sequence of music and and the rhythm it really kind of set that creepy tone it sounds like steven sondheim knew what he was doing <laughs> maybe you know this you know, young guy yeah make it someday. completely unknown this was his first show or whatever yeah. maybe i don't know <laughs> he wrote it in his parents basement 
Speaking of Sondheim, is this your favorite Sondheim show, though? Or, like, soundtrack, if you will? Probably, yeah. I'm, uh, I don't do theater near as much as my wife. She'd be out here. She'd want to come out here and talk about Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I'd probably tell her to go away. Well, so I did, not that long ago, Phantom of the Opera, uh, the yeah. movie version. And I asked yeah. my guests, like, is this Andrew Lloyd Webber's response to Sweeney Todd? Because, you know, it feels like Weber and Sondheim have been like battling each other over the year, over the decades. And Sondheim did a horror musical first. And then years later, Phantom of the Opera comes out. I'm just like, is it too coincidental that they have (laughs) a a similar vibe going? I mean, maybe. Because I don't, I'm not in, I don't know the, the history of those two and their uh their feud but now that you mention it it's all about money let's be real here it's all about money and fame yeah honestly yeah honestly neither one of them probably even gives a shit as long as they're getting paid right and like their work is getting done yeah for them as long as their vision can be created or whatever bullshit they want to (laughs) say how did you feel about like the cutaways to the past specifically the one that i uh, um i want to talk about is like when his wife goes to the party that the judge hosts yeah and she and then she gets raped basically pretty much i mean they don't show that exactly they just show alan rickman getting on top of her and everybody kind of coming in and laughing and it yeah i was peter pettigrew looking all fucking creepy <laughs> oh peter pettigrew mm-hmm that's what I mean. We we talked about that for like the first five minutes of the movie. Like, God, how many Harry Potter characters are in this fucking movie? There are five. Johnny Depp and the guy who plays Tony both play. My wife said both play Grindelwald. Yeah. So Johnny Depp plays him in the fan, Fantastic Beasts story, yeah. like uh, saga, and the guy that plays Anthony uh, is in Harry Potter, right. uh, the Harry Potter movies, and then you've got Alan Rickman, Timothy Spall. And Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. And all the main, that's it. you know, the main character all the main characters short of uh you know the boy and Joanna. Pretty well, much. so I was reading that apparently Anne Hathaway was almost cast as Joanna, but Tim Burton just wanted an unknown actress. Yeah. So I think that works because I, I'm I'm trying to remember her voice in Les in Miz. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like Anne Hathaway probably could not hit those notes. I could be wrong, though. Because Greenfinch and Linenbird is so high. <laughs> it is. It's operatic. Yeah. Is all I could think. It was, it, it, it's, more, it's more of an opera song, it felt like, than just a musical. I mean, I feel, I feel like the stage version is more of an opera because I was oh, reading really? that the former general manager at the Metropolitan Opera House, Schuler Chapin, if I'm mispronouncing his name, I am so sorry. Uh, when he first watched it in 1979, he called it a, a modern American opera. And he was bummed. Like somebody, and somebody else was like, why isn't this at the Met? And he was like, I didn't know. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> <laughs> nobody told me <laughs> i mean honestly for just to, to make it an opera all you really have to do is turn all the speaking words into singing words and that's not, pretty much all you do not necessarily there are no? operas where there are speaking roles yes. oh are there mm-hmm. 
I was under the assumption that an opera is all singing, no speaking. I feel like an opera has to do with like the music used. It's a very specific type of music okay. used. But who knows what it is anymore because theater and opera and live entertainment is all always in flux and trying yeah. to be like new and now. And so yeah. like, I mean, we have Hamilton, which is ha- like majority rap. So yeah, I like mean, rap musicals are, are it, Hamilton wasn't the first, but like it's the most popular one. Yeah. It's the biggest. It's the one you think of when you think, yeah, I mean, like nowadays I, you think musical, that's the one that pops into most people's heads. Mm-hmm. And so. it's it's so new and now even opera is changing. Like if there's newer works coming out that like challenge you like to think what an opera really is. Right. So Met Opera, when are you doing Sweeney Todd? <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. Through, we have the fabulous Fox Theater here over in St. Louis and We've gone to see a couple shows. I would love it if they put on Sweeney Todd or anything like that. We always get fucking Cats and Annie. It's like, uh, come on. Nobody wants to see Cats. Especially like this time of year. You should. They should do it. They would probably make bank if they, oh, if they for October, November, like fall, they do like a yeah. horror. Even if it's like Little Shop. Like, like we did the other, the other episode. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, either one any anything that they don't bring to town over and over it's like let's look at the schedule see what's going to be at the fox this year oh it's the same thing from last year oh well we didn't go then and we're not going to go now oh poor fox theater not getting your money (laughs) they're okay (laughs) they're 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 gonna be fine (laughs) so back to the movie at hand there's something that I just didn't understand right away. And it's like, why is Mrs. Lovett and Pirelli the only ones who like immediately recognize? Yeah, yeah there's a lot is. of things like that that kind of drag, drive me crazy about this. But I guess it's, I don't know. I've, I've worried more about the music than the storytelling, I suppose. <laughs> the other thing too, where I was just like, why didn't he just slit, his, slit the judge's throat like immediately yeah. and not like play with his food? Granted, you need attention and we needed like not a 30 minute <laughs> piece. Yeah. I mean, I get, but yeah, if anybody should have recognized him, it should have been judge the judge. Mm-hmm. Cause like he didn't have like a scar across his face or something. He looked the same. He changed, except- his, he changed his hair and he was pale. <laughs> Paler. Paler. He had a Jay Leno white streak in his hair. <laughs> and he, was, he was more pale. And that's it. And he had Tim Burton makeup on. Like yeah. the typical, you know, white, white skin, dark eyes. Uh-huh. How I currently look because I'm tired. <laughs> I hear you, brother. I actually really do like this movie and I love the cast for it. Yeah. I I know like Tim Burton is using his staples with Johnny Depp and Helena Bottom Carter, but I feel like they do a great job. I don't know if I've ever seen Helena Bottom Carter in something that I didn't think she was great at. Fair. That's very fair. I mean, she, her, Alan Rickman, I mean, there's a small group of people, her and Alan Rickman both. 
I don't think I've ever seen them in anything where they did take over the entire thing because they're so good. And Johnny Depp, I mean, he's one of the best character actors there is. So, you know, if you put those three in one movie, it's going to be at least watchable. But yeah, I love this movie. I've seen it, I don't know, a dozen and a half times. We watch it every time it's on TV. We love this movie. I know that people give Johnny Depp shit because of his voice. And I'm like, no, it makes sense for the world we're in. He's not supposed to be like, you know, operatic in this version. It's grungy. It's dirty. It's a little more rock and roll. It's not Broadway. It's Tim Burton. We're in Tim Burton's world. It's more of a Victorian London, uh, not not quite peasant class accent, but definitely not upper class accent that he's that he's yeah. pushing off. I think then, the only time his accent really bothers me is in the My Friend song, where he kind of starts to sound almost like a little kid when he's instead of saying uh, th, he says like the v. That's that also. Part- part of like the yeah. british accent though yeah i know maybe it maybe british accents just annoy me that much i don't know because but, in, instead of saying like brother they say brother or, or yeah yeah or they some people do for say some that. reason when he did it in that song but like the rest of the movie didn't bother me but for some reason that song specifically there's a couple times where where he did that where it kind of was like mm, maybe you're pushing <laughs> it a little bit but and he's the only american in the in the whole thing uh yeah probably yeah because it's sasha Bar- where's sasha Baron cohen from england is he? he's british yeah 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 i, yeah, yeah, I guess I, he is. when he switches from that ridiculous italian accent to being like a more naturalistic voice i believe uh-huh. that's his real speaking voice maybe like putting on like putting on like a little bit more a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, that it was actually really nice to hear him like not be a character for a, a second. Yeah, for, yeah, for a very short amount of time before he's you know bludgeoned to death and then is well bludgeoned almost to death and then his you know throat slit. Slit. Oh boy, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I was listening to the cast album of the of the original with Angela Lansbury playing Mrs. Lovett, and she sounds wild really? <laughs> love angela is it, an, is it with an english accent well she, yeah i mean she is british so she's she, well, she put, british yes she is i'm learning so much shit today but she love puts it. on more of like a cockney accent you know so it's a little rougher around the edges okay. and the way that she at least in the recording I can't speak for seeing it live because I, I mean, it's before my time, but right. she plays it more comedic than Helena Bonham Carter does huh. where I watch it re- while rewatching the movie. I really appreciated like the small humor that she does with the role, you know, yeah. like she's not over the top being like popping pussies into pies or whatever. It's very, <laughs> She's letting the words do the work rather than her like being so outlandish and crazy. Yeah, well, it's like and like after uh, he does uh, Epiphany and he's you know walking on the street asking people if they want to shave, and then it, it turns out he's just, you know he's on his knees actually in his parlor just with his arms up in the air, and she's just standing there leaning up against chair like, well, that's all great, but what are we gonna do about the dead body, bud? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
exactly and she she has great moments where it's deadpan but like it works because it's so funny (laughs) i think i laughed out loud a few times with her lines because i i i'm i too have seen this movie probably like dozens of times but like there's always parts that tickle me a little bit like worst pies in london that song is hilarious that and when the bodies go down the body shoot and land on their heads i giggle every time a body hits the ground so every fucking time it just goes and they just come down like crash test dummies and land in a spot and i i i let out a little it's not like laugh out that's not like ha ha it's a it's it's, a it's it's a giggle it's It's, every time it's a giggle (laughs) (laughs) it's funny i'm i'm also a little confused did she ha- always have like that giant meat grinder or did she get it for i mean i you probably don't know yeah. the answer but like did yeah that yeah okay a giant meat grinder a a extremely large furnace that are is obviously just going to roast the pies i mean those pies are going to be Burnt. completely toasted on the outside and completely undone on the inside and then they're looking for for Toby and apparently they have a, a just a giant sewer system in their basement. Yeah, I didn't it, ask questions. <laughs> that's uh, that. This is one of those movies where you just kind of have to suspend your disbelief about a lot of things and just go. I mean, he puts together a uh, hydraulic. I don't know if it spring loaded body chair with a with a chute that goes down to the basement. And somehow completely misses misses the rest of the restaurant in right. one night in yeah. the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That montage, I was like, did we really need to see this? Yeah, I still like, I still love the movie. But what's great about that is like, there. It seems like there's also paying homage to how it's done on stage because usually the chair is a thing with the stage yeah. version, but it's more like when the victim goes down, there's a a whole like slide system. That sure. they then have to like crawl out. <laughs> to, I, I've I've heard stories about like how people, you know, that they slide down. I think they do it feet first. I think it would make more sense in the in the in a like a play to do it go feet first because if you went head first, you got to imagine safety. somebody getting yeah hurt. safety reasons. But I feel like there's also still like some like mattress or something of some foam thing of sorts that they land in. So this way, you know, it's not that rough of a landing for that right yeah it's like listen you're playing sweetie you're gonna have to you're gonna have to feel it if you're gonna be in this play you gotta feel it they just throw you off a two-story building (laughs) good luck (laughs) we'll send your tony in the mail (laughs) but the other thing that they changed for the movie is toby he's supposed to be played by a man who is mentally challenged in a way okay but they changed him to a boy. And I really appreciated that because they're adding like another layer to his story, at least. Yeah. You know, when he gives the backstory about working in the, um, the workhouses, the workhouses and living in yeah. an orphanage and all that. And you're just like, oh, this was really a thing. I think if it had been an older person, mentally challenged or whatever, and he takes his hat off and he has this long flowing hair, I think that would have hit a little bit more with the uh you know the magic serum mm. that grows hair it's like okay well he's a kid so he's probably gonna have 
no problem growing his hair long anyway. So maybe maybe having an adult do that, you know, might have made more sense. But I think honestly, by the end of the movie, where they're searching for him and the sewer system magically appears underneath the building, I think that if it was uh, an adult who had some type of mental disability, I'd feel more worried for him than I was for the kid because the kid seemed like he could take care of himself pretty good. Right, I wasn't at all worried for him. At no point was I ever worried that he was going to die. But, but now like he's an adult with some type of mental disability. I probably would have been afraid. That's true. Cause it seems like Sweeney has a code. He has a line that he doesn't cross. He did kill his own wife, but he didn't know it was her. At the How time. does he not know that it's her? Just like, well, I mean, we can understand how she doesn't know it's him because she poisoned herself. Basically. Yeah, there's obviously something going on with her. But when she when he like slits her throat and she looks up at him, you can clearly see her face. Right. For but, like that's the only time that it something is well lit in this movie. Yes. Apparently you can't tell who she is in moonlight, but you can tell who she is by firelight. Oh which boy. Didn't make much sense. Because the first time I saw the movie, I was like, Oh, he's gonna see that it's her when she looks up at him and they slash her throat. I was like, Well shit. Never oh. mind. How oh no, it's so wild. And and then I, I think, well, I feel like they had to do that just to for the dramatic moment at the end when he realizes it's her and now he has like he almost killed his daughter unbeknownst to himself, uh-huh. but now he has nothing because he doesn't know if Joanna's still alive. Right. He doesn't he just murdered his wife. I mean, he did get his revenge, but like, yeah, at what cost? Well, I mean, he's not really out the wife. The fact that he thought she was dead anyway only changes things for those few minutes. But I mean, I, I could still see why you'd be upset. Glad my wife's not recording with us right now because she'd be staring daggers at me. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> you would think that he should have known that that was his daughter too, because Anthony said he was going to bring her back over there. Mm, but he was also a little busy murdering you know everyone you know what murdering probably does take a lot out of you you probably forget a lot of the details especially especially the gruesome murder of the judge like todd sweeney is like covered in all blood and everything and he made he made it extra special for the judge instead Uh of like the other people where he slit their throats well yeah you got to get a little bit more aggression out when yes. it's the the main guy you're going after rather than just all these you know schlubs that you're sending down for food random people yeah um, and, and that's that's another thing how do all these people just go missing because there's like oh well we'll just go after people nobody would be looking for none of these people look like they were the type of people that no one would go looking for they all look like they had some type of status right in and like society and like the only time he doesn't murder somebody is when like this, the, the person, the customer's <laughs> wife and daughter is there, and you're like, okay, that's the only that's the smartest man in the entire movie. He brought Bring his my, family with him to get yeah. shave to get a shave. But then you gotta think, what type of man brings his family to make him watch him get shaved? How maybe they were, were their lives. Maybe they were out and about for the day and. Stay downstairs and have some meat pies while I go. That's when was the last time you saw this person? Oh, at the the building with the crazy barber. Uh, he went there where the lady who had 
as up until like a week ago, the worst meat pies in London, then now all of a sudden she's selling all of them. Everything. And yeah. it stinks really bad coming from there too, from their from their chimney. That was the last place I saw them. You'd think somebody would put two and two together. Well, so that's the other thing too, where you don't know how much time has passed because it, it is a month. Like a it, yeah. I mean, maybe a month at most, but it doesn't seem like it's a year, if anything, when he's no. during his montage of killing people. Yeah, the mon- the montage of him killing people, it, it feels like it's all set in the same evening because the lighting never changes. But like, how many people is he going to kill in one night? Well, that's also like Tim Burton's best stamp on it using the different colors for like the different colors for the looks of like the present and the past that's also yeah. tim burton and it's because it's black and white for the present and sepia for the past yeah but like more colorful and then and then yeah. by the sea is its own color palette that is probably uh, i said it to my wife when the scene came up because i think about this scene the this the series of scenes for this song all the time it's probably the most tim burton-esque part of the entire movie oh where it's nice and bright outside and then you just have these two completely out of place people you know sitting under a tree the stripes where they're on the beach and he's in that striped bathing suit i laughed out loud because i completely forgot about about him being in that that old timey bathing i was like ha look at him because white hairy legs and it's also like the saddest song in the entire show because she's had she's living this fantasy and clearly he's not having it well it's like i'll go along with whatever because i really don't fucking care at this point as long as i get what i want yeah and it is so upsetting especially like like i didn't mind the fantasy sequence in this at this moment because you you get to see what she's thinking and everything and he's still like a husk of a man uh, rather than her imagining him being like lively and in the moment, he's still like she doesn't even imagine this big glorious kiss at the end of the wedding. Is he almost says he's almost forced to do it? Yeah, and that's how, that's that's all in her head, and and it's very depressing and very upsetting yeah. because it's your fantasy. You could you could fly in your fantasies if you wanted to, yeah. or be a giant purple person, whatever. <laughs> You can be Barney. In, you can be fantasy, you, you can be Barney to. if you wanted to. Anything but you want. He imagines him so blasé and over everything, and then the pitiful "you may kiss your bride" moment. <laughs> he doesn't well, even say "I do." He just nods. He goes, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, if we want to dig deep into the psychology of it, I think maybe she thinks of him that way because that's what she loves about him. I think she's one of those women that loves a man who is dark and tortured and she doesn't want any of that to change. That's what she loves the most about him. Because honestly, she talks, she says she loves him, but it's like, why? What part of Because he doesn't have very many redeeming qualities other than the fact that he's a really good barber and apparently really good at murdering things and building chairs and he (laughs) and he doesn't reciprocate anything like even from the get-go yes he calls he has like little nicknames for her and everything during um a little priest but like 
he gets a little lively at the thought that he can start slashing throats and shit. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to see my revenge through. Uh-huh. My pet. She's she's a pet, but his his razors are his friends. It's like you are <laughs> one step below these inanimate objects. <laughs> so to shift gears for a second, I did read that yet another Harry Potter actress was almost cast as Mrs. Lovett, and that's Amelda Stoughton, who played Umbridge. Oh! Huh. Yeah. So... I don't know how I'd feel about that. Well, so obviously you know her as Umbridge, which she's yeah. great as. You love and hate her at the same time. She's She is the villain of those movies. Voldemort can suck an egg. I don't give a shit. She is... she Because Voldemort is just... He's so over the... Now we're going to start talking about Harry Potter. She, he's so over the top of a villain that it's like, okay, he's this magical guy. It's it's unbelievable that he would exist in real life. But everybody knows a Dolores Umbridge. Yes. Everybody knows one. And if you don't know one, you are probably her. So she almost won the role. Obviously didn't. But then she went on to go play her in, in the West End in 2012. So happy ending for her. Unlike Anne Hathaway, who never got to play Joanna. I don't think she's losing sleep. I don't know. Over not, play, not playing the girl. Fine. But the other fun fact that I read, and this is like something that was very like super, like made me a little smiley about it, mm-hmm. that the film's conductor, whose name that I didn't write down, and I'm so sorry, was also the musical director and conductor for the original Broadway production of Sweeney Todd. Really? Oh, so, yeah. So, like, that was that. It was something to just like, oh, you're like the only one that <laughs> had real ties to it, <laughs> and that's well, I okay. If, I wonder if it because you live in in that world and you work in that world, so I, I have no idea. But I, I wonder if they try to keep or go after the same people that do it live production for movies and TV shows. So if they try to keep not everybody, obviously, but if they try to find at least some people that worked on that to bring them in to be a part of it. There's some like stage to movie versions of things where they like rent the movie rent where they, that was their concept. They wanted the original cast to be part of it. I don't know if this was a weird coincidence or if it was like Sondheim was like, I want him. Cause Sondheim also had a hand in casting. I was reading that like he wanted, he wanted final say on casting and Tim Burton was like, fine, but I'm casting Johnny Depp as Sweeney Todd. No, no questions. He's like, if Johnny Depp can't be in it, then I can't direct it because basically person pretty much. And then like he made Helena Bonham Carter uh audition which she gladly did are they still an item or were no they? no they were, were they during time? filming she was okay. pregnant with their second child while they were filming really uh-huh so yeah. i don't know i i don't know i i don't know i can't imagine anyone else but her now like doing this because yes she's a she was not anymore <laughs> she was like a tim burton staple for his movies but like, I don't yeah. know. I, I I think Imelda Staunton would have played it so different or whomever that I don't know if it would have worked, if I'm completely honest. And that's not, it's not to say that nobody else could play the role. Oh, it's no, no, no. Anybody but like, else would have made it 
different. With it this, wouldn't have had the same. It wouldn't have had the same chemistry on screen as as what she brought. Right. So I think I think she was perfect for the role. Her and Johnny Depp have been in Tim. Like, did they actually work together in a Tim Burton movie before this? I feel like they did. They were both Corpse Bride, but I think that's. I mean, that's animated, so they probably weren't. Maybe not recording at the same time. Or, yeah. I don't know if they were not. I would imagine they probably had, had crossed paths at some point, but I don't know if it'd been a Tim Burton movie. I mean, they both probably have had a shorthand with Tim Burton by this time, so like it made yeah. sense to cast them. And I like the outcome. Like I had okay, so let's get a little personal for a second. <laughs> I when I was in college. I was a costume design major and in one of my costume design classes, we had to do Sweeney Todd as like an unrealized production. You know, basically we had to like design the the costumes for it. And I listened to this, this, this soundtrack to be inspired by it because I felt like this soundtrack was a little like grittier and darker than the original Broadway cast. And that's what I was going for. And like, I really like what they did with the music in this movie. Personally, I know people are probably yeah. like cancel, unsubscribe, not don't listen to this podcast. Anymore. <laughs> but I just change, like, don't ever change anything about anything. That's always bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, this is it's it's just my honest opinion. Like, I feel like they did a great job. I have this theory that I feel like Johnny Depp is uh, now perpetually stuck in Jack Sparrow. Because you watch him in anything yeah. after Pirates of the Caribbean, he's still like playing that bumbly character, and it works for this movie. Seems like he's playing it when he's not playing a character too, with all the scarves and rings and bracelets. He likes <laughs> <laughs> it's just his identity now. He's now yeah, Jack Sparrow, just, on and off screen. I'm Jack Sparrow now. <laughs> Every time I go anywhere, I'm Jack Sparrow. Like I kind of saw Jack Sparrow in this performance, but like not a not as much as I've seen it in other movies right. that are not pirates related. So it was very hard to come up with flats. Let me put it that way for this movie. Yeah, I think uh, yeah I got I I only have one, and it's kind of a nitpicky thing. Like M- mine are all stupid. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, there's one last thing. One last fun fact I want to mention and it's that this is the only adaptation of his works that Stephen Sondheim approves of oh really yeah well because I guess because he also had like a heavy hand in it yeah he had a big hand in making it I don't know how he feels about Into the Woods speaking of Johnny Depp in another musical movie which, yeah oh, oh. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> but I want more Sondheim movies like, I love Sondheim. He is one of my favorite American composers. Well, my favorite theater composers. And I feel like there are other shows that he's done that can be adapted into movies. You just... Yeah, he just needs to, to do like he did with this one and put himself into every aspect of making it. Or, you know, I don't know if he has... I don't know if he has, like, an assistant that knows his work very well. Maybe the assistant. Because Stephen Sondheim is... He's 90. 91. He's 91. Is he that old? Yeah. God damn. Because I think last year they did a thing for his birthday during shutdown where like all these stars sang, like did like an online virtual concert for him. Yeah. Where 
my favorite was the trio of Audra McDonald, Christine Baranski, and Meryl Streep singing Ladies Who Lunch from Company. It's it was great because they were they were all sitting there in like bathrobes holding wine, like <laughs> wine glasses full of wine and like just chugging it during the song. And then Audra McDonald like takes out a bottle of whiskey at one point and it's so good (laughs) but i digress did he hate every moment of it like uh... i don't remember seeing his reaction to it but i hope not because i know neil patrick harris did a song like the stars everywhere both of like stage and screen did musical numbers so i think when you get to that point in success and that age in life you you don't care look at all the stars we brought yeah and like uh i just love i love his music like it's so it's so me like there you go as as depressing as that sounds i relate (laughs) a lot to his music well listen if you haven't listened to company i'd say listen to that and then you'd be like why do you like this (laughs) but i think everybody has a thing Tangent over. Uh, is there anything else you want to bring up before we get into sharp and flat? No, I just I really like the movie. I just really it, that, and that's the whole reason I picked it. I was like, it is a great movie. Thank you for making yeah. me rewatch it. It's, oh yeah, well, just like Little Shop of Horrors. Like, yeah, again. Yeah. Except for this time, we watched the same version of the same movie. <laughs> what we did? Yeah. There, well, so this is the only like musical version the other ones that i i saw like a list on wikipedia they're all dramas or or like straight acting no music no like singing or silent <laughs> like they're a silent, silent film really they're a silent, a silent film? they're okay okay we're going there so in 1926 there was sweeney todd which was a 15 minute silent film and then in 1928 there was another version of Sweeney Todd that was a silent film, uh, both with different actors and different everything. I have, oh, I did. Oh, okay. So the 1926 one is lost for good. It's gone. Oh, really? Gone from the ether. And then there was Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street in 1936. And then Bloodthirsty Butchers, which is a horror film. And then... Like they mentioned Jersey Girl as well, like you did. And then right. there's this one. So I don't feel like this movie needs to be remade. Like another no. musical version of it. I f- right. For like another 20 years. Somebody will end up doing it. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, somebody will end up doing it. Yes. And I, I will be very upset with that. Yeah, we'll probably hate it. But all the, but it, but it'll be like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's like we all loved Willy Wonka growing up, and then Charlie and Chocolate Factory comes out, and all the kids are like, "I love that movie." It's like you got you don't you don't know shit. Shut the shut you your mouth. You don't have taste. <laughs> all right, let's get into sharp and flat, shall we? Yes, let's do it. Sharp flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether we talked about them or not. And if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we hated it, which, again, I picked stupid things, or we think things could have been changed, it's flat. Now, I will say, before we even get started, I did think about flatting Judge Turpin. But I was like, no, he's you can't, because that's the that's the whole 
crux of the of the show he yeah. is a villain like yeah. the rapey nature and like the way that he is sentencing a seven-year-old to hang you can't change anything really about him because no. he's got to be he's got to be just the most horrible fucking person right in order for you to root for the guy who's murdering everybody so instead i sharped him <laughs> <laughs> well i sharped alan rickman really there you go yeah and, he's another person but yeah and timothy spall who played uh beetle mm-hmm. like they did such a great job at being villains and it's funny that you mentioned him sentencing a kid to death because i really did love that i i sharped it because it was so funny yeah it's funny yeah Cause, yeah because you know it's a very serious it's after pirelli's death and then he like Alan Rickman is delivering this very serious monologue, and then you see it's a child, and you're like, "That is so funny." <laughs> and then and then Beatles like, "You did the right. Thank you for doing the right thing." He was a menace to society. <laughs> I also love the music, like I yeah. said earlier. I love the music. It's so like it feels like it's in a minor key and very foreboding and everything. It's not the typical like musical theater music so i really yeah, love it the whole thing is meant to put you in almost an uneasy state yeah through the through the whole show even like greenfinch and linnet bird it's it sounds so pretty and uplifting but then if you really like listen to the yeah, lyrics listen to the lyrics yes it's so depressing <laughs> it is and my, then my cage is you know this house is as big as a house but it's still her cage oh uh, yeah it's, so, it's, it's so sad, it's sad. and then um i want to give a shout out to ed sanders he played toby usually i shit on child actors i'm not gonna lie i feel like most of the time they don't understand what they're doing they're not really acting he did such a great job that i needed yeah. to sharp him because he knew he, yeah he understood he the assignment. assignment yeah yeah i did <laughs> all right kevin what are your sharps uh, again, the, the music is great. I love Sasha Baron Cohen. Just what he does in this, going from the accent and being snooty and mean to the kid to all of a sudden now he's trying to double cross Sweeney. It, I, I loved his whole small arc. The fact that they had the, like I said earlier, the bodies go head first into the ground. If they had gone feet first, it'd have been like, okay. They went head first. It was. It just added, I don't know, it added. And the fact that you, it was over the top. Huh? And you get that, that yeah, splat you get sound. Splat and then the rest of the body comes down. I giggle every time. And then, uh, I mean, we pointed out the all the the unbelievable stuff in it, but just the fact that it was so over the top with, you know, she has this special grate that draws blood into the straight into the sewer. And the basement of this place is like, the size of a city block the giant meat grinder yeah, you got she's got to go all the way downstairs to this huge furnace that's obviously just scorching the fuck out of these pies to make these pies and they lock the kid the whole thing is just over the top and i i loved every second i i, I really do all the little things i can nitpick about it i, I love the whole fucking movie <laughs> I mean, I wanted to sharp the whole movie, but like, I just wanted to highlight certain moments because, like, the movie is great. I will say I've never seen the stage version, so I can't really compare it. Right. But like, the movie, I love this movie. 
as much as like people may want my my like musical theater card back like i love this movie <laughs> all right let's get to flats if that's i had why we're all here well yeah that's why we're all here to, to shit on it a little bit <laughs> so for me i i flat it that they cut anthony head out of the movie <laughs> it's so stupid but i'm just like i want to hear i love his voice he's such a good singer yeah he, sing. yeah he can sing i also didn't like the color of the blood it felt too fake like too red it almost like lipstick red yeah it was like too orangey red not like blood red and i guess that yeah. was the filter they used or some like i don't know what happened. I think they probably they probably use what contrasted with the black the the darkness of everything so mm-hmm. better because because real blood is kind of on the darker side anyway so if you have the darker red blood on top of this dark scene you're not really gonna see you, it so it's I gonna think, be black I, I he, he went sin city red with it and just put as much fucking just, in. Yeah. yeah i mean you had me with everything else. Like, I'm okay with the singing. I'm okay with the acting and everything. But then all of a sudden, you see, like, this red-orangey blood spurt out of their necks. And I'm like, hmm, that doesn't look real for me. <laughs> in this in this over-the-top musical, that, I want some realism. I also didn't really like Mrs. Lovett's death because that CGI was just, it's just terrible. yeah. It, it was probably it probably went along with the time that it was made if it was made now it would have been a, probably a lot better i wish we didn't see her though i wanted i feel like if we oh you just you just like she goes in and the door gets shut and you know, like you see you, like you hear the scream from the side and the furnace and then all of a sudden she goes in and the door blocks it and he closes it yeah that, and, i can imagine that being because i mean yeah. one of the more one of the scariest things that any that people do in movies is not showing you things yeah this way you it's up to your imagination which is terrifying in some instances so if we didn't see it we can just imagine it and then hopefully it'll be better (laughs) and then (laughs) and then and then again this is so stupid and so small i hate their waltz that they do in a little priest you know where they're where they where they have a dance break, and I'm just like, yeah. okay, you guys are so awkward during this waltz. I don't I think like that's it. the point. I think that might have been the point. I mean, I know that's the point, and like she's holding a rolling pin and he's holding a butcher's knife or or uh, a cleaver. cleaver or something. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're I'm standing just, in the window looking at everybody. It's like, okay, nobody's gonna come into your shop. I don't I don't know if it's like their dancing or the camera work or both something there it, it seems too weird too out there like I kind all of, of all of the, that the, that hair too much just yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I if you're going to if you're going to waltz I I don't think I wanted the cl- like the sort of close ups that they had cuz that means I like they're almost bumping into the camera while they sway yeah. side to side so but that's me. All of mine are stupid and small. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wasn't really paying attention to the waltz so much because I love that song. It's a, the it's a that great they're, song. That they're, they're deciding what pies they should eat based on the occupation of the person that they're making the pies out of. <gasps> I, God, I, I've, I've listened to that song over and over. I love that fucking song. That it's song so is brilliant. Good. That song is brilliant. So uh, what about you? What are your flats? 
so we had mentioned a few times uh green finch and lynette bird i think i think it's the fact that it's so high pitched it's one of the songs in there that i just i'm not a fan of that like that song comes on i'm like i can do without this one i understand the song itself is is great because it really kind of pushes home how much of a prisoner she is in, in this place and how terrified she should be about where she is i think it's more the performance of it that kind of gets to me that could just mm. be, again that, that's just my stupid thing i suppose and uh I'm not an overly romantic person. If my wife was here, she'd probably agree. Uh, but the fact that this kid is going to risk his life and run away with this girl he's literally never met. Right. He's going to go save her. I saw her in a window, and now my entire life revolves around her. For me, that a little much it's a, it's a it little would have been much. better i think if it would have been oh i saw this beautiful woman this beautiful girl in the window he explains to sweeney who she is and he's like that's my daughter we have to save her then then it seems to me like he'd have more of a reason to go get her than just she's pretty i want her well that, that borderlines on creepy to play devil's advocate sure. sweeney only saw his daughter as a child so true he wouldn't know what she looks like Right. But, but maybe he, he could have assumed it was his wife. That or something. Could have been. Uh, uh, Miss Lovett does tell him that. Um, doesn't she tell him that? She says that she took arsenic. The judge took the baby. Then the, and that the judge yeah. took the baby. But then you know later in the show, in the movie, she's like, "I never said that she died. I just said that she took the poison." Yeah. So. You have to yeah. like it's a it's a moment like that where you have to really like pay attention. Yeah. Well, so I was hoping that maybe sweet that he would catch on to the fact that the judge took the baby and now mm. they're and now Anthony saw this beautiful, pale, blonde haired girl in the window of Judge Turpin's house. house that he'd be able to put two and two together and be like, Hey, Hey, let's go save my child and murder the judge at the same time. Break her out of the insane asylum. Oh, God. (laughs) Would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? Uh, Epiphany, probably. Just because that's the moment where uh, he decides he's just, you know, just fuck it. I'm done. I'm just going to kill anybody I want to kill. And I think we can all uh, appreciate that. I listen to this album every, like, once a year. Or yeah. like at least once a year, you know, because all of a sudden I'm just I have one of the songs stuck in my head, and I'm like, now I have to listen to the album. Okay. Oddly enough, the one I get stuck in my head more than anything, even though Epiphany is probably uh, and Little Priest are probably are my favorite songs by far. Joanna is the one I get stuck in my head more than anything because it's such a simple. It's just a simple melody. It's it, and it's just. Uh, it's just yeah. stuck in your head and then it's all you can think about for days so there's a another podcaster who was who's been on this show before her name is christina miller her and her co-host host uh my favorite flop where they talk about broadway flops <laughs> but in the show in their podcast christina has like a running gag as to like she wants to do a cabaret of all like stalkery songs and christina i hope joanna is on there because yeah that is the that is the most stalkery song in music i will steal you 
Joanna. <laughs> he knows her for a minute and not even know knows her. her at all. He, except he, for, and she throws the key to him, to the stranger who she saw out the window. But I think I think at that point she's so desperate she'll just give the key to anybody. True. To get her the it, fuck out. He has a kind face. Yeah. <laughs> he's young and has hair and I'll go. And is not the judge. So yeah, he's not putting off too much of a rapey vibe, unlike the guy she's living with. Until we hear Joanna, and then it's like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> ooh. And on that note, on a rapey note. <laughs> Kevin, we're done with this episode. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, or we're gonna get more rapey shit, and I don't think that's—I don't think that's good. Or go on multiple tangents about other. Oh yeah, because I could still go on more. Is there anything you want to plug or promote? The, the wife and I still—you know—she's still going through whatever she's going through uh, physically and mentally. So we put our pod, uh, the podcast we do, uh, open a fucking book on hold for uh, the past few months. I am getting ready to release, hopefully within the next you know, few weeks, definitely before the end of the year, a D&D podcast I do with my kids That's amazing. Um, called Tales from the Card Table. <sighs> they helped me come up with the name. So, And uh, hopefully we get our uh, my other D&D podcast out that I do with a group of friends from all over the country, uh, all over the world, including Canada and Ireland, called Roll for What? And hopefully that comes out soon. Huh? Yeah. And then uh, I got a couple other things in the works. If you like, uh, well, if you like this episode with, you know, us talking about, you know, people, you know, blood and people getting murdered. I have another one I'm working on that uh, will be right up your alley. And I'm trying to get a health uh, podcast going, talk to people about. Um, so my wife and I both suffer from migraines. Oh, and it's like, you know, growing up, grow up with a migraine. You don't think you think you're all alone. Nobody else has a migraine. It's like, this is the, I'm the only person in the world going through this. And you grow up and you find out that like, I don't know, 40% of the world, they get migraines. So I want to uh, talk to people, just regular everyday people who uh, get migraines. Wow. So, yeah. And just see how they deal with the day to day. You know, it's not like take this person's advice and do what they do, but I want to see how, you know, just regular everyday people get through the day with these migraines because I've had a hard time doing it and it, my wife has them worse than I do, and she has a hard time doing it. So it'd be nice to hear from other people how they do it. You sound so busy. Um, I have a lot of pots in the fire. I just wish I could get off my ass and do more. Uh, yeah. The TV calls to me. The what? And I respond. Oh, the TV. Yes. 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 Netflix. Netflix calls to me, and I'm just like, uh, fine. I will watch Squid Game. Again. <laughs> Again. I was just thinking that. I was like... I need to work on this, but man, I want to see who dies next. If you want to get in touch with me and the podcast, you can email me at buttasongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttasongpod. Tell us what you think about this movie. I mean, I will not hand over my Broadway card because I love this movie, but if you have any thoughts and feelings about it, let me know. And if you want to be part of the next episode, we're going to be talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, I saw that on the on the little thing you sent me. I was like, oh, yeah, my wife was upset about that because she was like, I want to do that one. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. If I want to come back on, I just have to pick another horror cannibalistic musical because if, so far, both episodes I've been on, people have been eaten. There's always Cannibal the Musical. And it's written by... Cannibal the Musical. And it's written by Matt Stone and Trey Parker. 
Oh, really? I remember correctly. Yeah. So it's huh. going to be hilarious. Yeah, I have to look that one up. But happy spooky season, everyone. We're obviously continuing with more pseudo horror <laughs> with the next episode. And stay safe and see you next time. Bye for now, everyone. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day. <laughs>